Today on the show, we do a deep dive into the new Netflix series, Mindhunter. This is Can't Sleep, Won't Sleep. We interrupt our program to bring you this important message. What's up, insomniacs? Welcome to another episode of Can't Sleep, Won't Sleep, brought to you by Bucket of Wind. I'm Cameron, and with me in studio, as always, is... Mason. And Matt, we're back again. And today is a really interesting day, because we just reviewed Mindhunter, a spoiler-free review, and now we get to have a juicy, in-depth discussion, get into some really cool background about the show. I'm just, I'm just super excited, guys. Yeah, a deeper look into the show we love. Exactly, it's it's a fantastic show now on Netflix. I think everybody will love it. Um, the first thing we're going to jump into is actually uh, the writer of the show called Joe Penhall. He is an English Australian playwright and screenwriter out of London, uh, and he and David Fincher. Actually, uh, he is a director slash writer slash producer producing the show. Uh, yes, uh, Mindhunters is based on real FBI agents. Uh, the book Mindhunters Inside the FBI Elite uh, Serial Crime Unit, written by John E. Douglas and co-writer Mark Olsacker, uh, had written the book. And basically, just off that book alone, we're going to have a series Everybody's heard about Criminal Minds by Bruno Heller. Mm -hmm. And those characters in that role by Mandy Potamkin, which is one of the lead characters, and, and also the other one, Joe Montaigne, are, those are actually based on Jonathan E. Douglas. And he is actually the FBI agent that when you see Mindhunters, it is Holden Ford. Early in his career when everything was taking off, uh, that is Jonathan E. Douglas, and that character has been taken from Mindhunters, the uh, FBI elite book, and spun off by two other by Bruno Heller into that series, and now onto Netflix in Mindhunters the series. How interesting is that? I know. I just because Agent Ford is one of the most interesting characters I've really seen on television, and his character is based off of a book. And the book is based off of that guy's life. Yeah. The two guys, like Bill Tench and Holden Ford's characters, mm -hmm. made a book together about their experiences. And then they adapted that book into a show. Yep. That and shows... then took it another time in, into this show. So it's. And I think that shows the continuity of message and like the heart that went into the show. It, it didn't feel like it lost anything. No, exactly. And it's perfecting adaptations. You know, I'm sure the book was great. But the manifestation of that book on screen is just absolutely brilliant, in my opinion. And uh, David Fincher, uh, a lot of people have known about him, uh, but he's been directing for a very, very long time and producing. Uh, he did the, the Curious Case of Benjamin Buttons. That's uh, Brad Pitt's movie where he ages backwards. He won an Oscar as Best Director for that role. He also directed and took part in The Social Network about Facebook. Yes, that was such a good movie. Fantastic. Um, he also directed Gone Girl. Ooh. And he took a large part in House of Cards. And he basically cut his teeth with a serial killer th whole theory with Zodiac, Jake Gyllenhaal. Oh, my God. So this, this guy's a heavyweight when heavyweight. it comes to thrillers, yes. suspense, dialogue-heavy shows. And an Academy Award-winning Award director. Who would have thought that David Fincher would originally cut his teeth on music videos for Jay-Z really? and other groups? Yeah. Holy directed music holy. videos and he got from there all the way to the uh oscar winning academy 
uh, winning director. And I guess you got to get into the game however you can. What, whatever it takes. And that's one hell of a way, though. Getting in on a Jay-Z video. Yeah. I'd do it. I think that's where I would, I would want my career to peak. Just hang out with Jay-Z all the time. And then um, uh, I couldn't really find out how... Uh, Sharice Theron came together with David Fincher. Uh, the only thing I got were one or two articles on a rumor that she actually wanted to star in the TV show uh, for Netflix. I could see that. And, she, she killed Monster, right? So. Oh, she, and my thing is, she could have, it could have, Holden Forge's character could have been a female. Mm, it, yes. But I thought she would play Wendy. I, yeah, I was going to say, I think she would have played Wendy Carter. Wendy Carter. You're probably right. by Now I'm thinking Torf. about it. You're not going to send a woman in to interview serial killers or rapists. It's true. Uh, my Just because it's a period piece. It's Absolutely. not even It's not even saying like, Wendy now Carter. you're not yeah. allowed to, like, women can't interview those people. It's but saying the, it's from the 1960s. Yeah. So the rumor probably was, that's the role. You're right. That's probably what, the, what role. Uh, but it turned out she is actually the one that took the book. And gave it to uh, David E. Douglas's book, and gave it to uh, uh, David Fincher. And mm. David Fincher had that book when he was originally over at HBO. Yep, he was working on a series over there, and it was not Joe Penthal. It was another gentleman uh, who was actually writing uh, stories there, and it was the original writer who was he was working with. And then when that showrunner slash writer left. And came over to Netflix to write. Jeez, thank your lucky stars that it ended up on. Guess Netflix what he was writing? HBO. What? Iron Fist. The ah, only fuck. good thing Ugh. that's come from that show is he came over to do Iron Fist as a showrunner. Had to give up the book mm-hmm. and writing it and being the head writer on it to Joe Joe Penhall. Mm. And from there, David Fincher, Joe Penhall, and Charisse Theron decided not to star in it. But wanted her production company, Denver and Delilah Production Company, to make everything. See, I like I like when stuff like this in Hollywood happens, where it's not just a bunch of insider training. It's kind of a serendipitous sure. moment of ha- like it's a happenstance where you're allowed to put out she, something cool and original. She found a great book. You said Iron Fist, and my ribs hurt now. Ugh. I was gonna say, uh, let's let's for, let us just forget terrible, about the just terrible. Oh, the immortal Iron Fist, protector of Kunlun. Yeah. Hey, did you guys know he was the protector of Kunlun? No. Did I mention I'm the protector of Kunlun? Hey, did I mention I'm the immortal Iron Fist? <laughs> okay, out of that rabbit hole. So now, after they stopped that whole production and everything, uh, we'll go into the next part, which is a little look into actually the origin of it. And that is none other than John E. Douglas. Uh, he was a New York guy, just like Holden Ford. Uh, from the FBI. He's got multiple degrees. Get this, guys. This is not a stupid individual. He's got a degree in sociology, physical education, recreation, psychology, guidance and counseling, administration, PhD, and comparable techniques, and and use that to teach the FBI on how to classify homicides. Wow. (laughs) That's one hell of a resume. That's not even before he gets into the FBI. He has all that education. Do you believe that? It's too much. And see, that's one thing. I think they wanted to show that, you know, in the show, Holden Ford isn't as perfect as, you know, Johnny Douglas. Oh, yeah. Although he's an academic and he's very smart, he does seem to have more character flaws than from what I've read about Johnny Douglas. Yeah. Holden in the in the show... He's a fucked up individual. He's not right. He's, He's not got right. his and he issues. finds his deep pleasure from talking to these 
And that's, serial killers. That's part of the. But it's the same pleasure that we derive from like hearing watching. about it. Well, it's, and watching. It's this. almost empathy, but not more of. He kind of puts himself. He is next to them. Literally relating a, to these serial. Yes, it's a, He has a relatability. That's it's 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 that, but it's more of a morbid curiosity. I'd, I wouldn't say that it's just a curiosity because even his partner, Bill Tench, who does this for a living, did it before he was with Holden, pointed out that there's something wrong yeah. with Holden. That whole scene where they're sitting there and he sees him in there actually re-listening to the interviews. He was like, yeah. either you have a gift at disconnecting yourself from the atrocities these, yeah. these people have committed or there is something seriously wrong with you. That seriously. is true. Because so, it's kind of hard when you're talking to someone who – Committed such such crazy acts, you know. Yeah, and then and then just pretend like you're shooting the and you're rolling with it. No, literally, we just talked about this in the in the review. He he basically befriended Ed Kemper, the oh, guy yeah. who grabbed his throat and was like, "It's cartilaginous." You know, you can't be friends with that individual. Yeah. I mean, we know later on in the in this season that that was not really a friendship, and it deteriorated quickly. In that like electrifying fashion that we all saw, but there's something wrong with Holden. Bottom yeah. line, and and then another part I didn't. Go ahead, Cameron. I'm sorry. No, I was gonna say, and that's why I think it's really cool that you brought in Johnny Douglas. To, you yeah. know, kind of give us frame of reference of the, the the how he created the character. Yeah, you know what I mean? Because he created the character. That's what I find yes. so interesting. He didn't do the common thing, which is to write an, uh, an autobiography, right? About his time at the. Exactly. It's not a memoir. No. He wrote it uh, intentionally with different characters. Different characters and explaining stories. And just as I thought that he was like an academic, okay, and I really believed that, you know, looking at him, he's a little off. No, uh, Johnny Douglas, FBI agent at 1970. He was an FBI SWAT as a sniper. Oh, my God. Wow. So first of all, not only you have to qualify to be on SWAT and all the physical and mental capabilities and attributes you have to have, then he became the sniper for the SWAT. I was going to say, isn't a sniper like a subspecialization of a SWAT? Which, which is so weird because they make Holden seem almost like a kind of like a bookworm, yeah. beta a kind beta of dude. Individual. Yeah. Yeah. But like, no. They even point out how sensitive and soft he is throughout the entire Whereas, show. Which, may, which was kind of weird to me, right? Because, you know, the FBI is kind of like, at that point in time, it's the boys club. It's the jocks. Exactly. It's the frat boy. Oh, he's definitely outside the outside the box. But this gives you another look. What I think might be pretty cool eventually we'll see is we'll hit, see him switch that switch maybe in later seasons where we'll Get see more a, badass. A, yeah, a physical well, you, side when he has to. That. When he has that. to, yeah. You saw that. I mean, he went from being almost an outcast who would eat lunch alone. Yeah. And then after his his uh, interviews began to get more more success in a sense and more notoriety. You saw him at the bar drinking with local law enforcement. Yeah. Boasting, not as awkward. No. Not as awkward boasting about his interviews and yeah. his performance. But I just I found that fascinating. He yeah. So after he does that for a period of seven years, not a short time with SWAT team guys, yeah. he goes and becomes, goes into the BSU, the Behavioral Science Unit, in 1977, where he taught hostage negotiation, no small feat. Criminal psychology at Quantico. He actually was a professor and teacher at Quantico of other FBI agents in psychology. He then went on to create and manage what we're watching now, the FBI criminal profiling program. Okay. And then for the people from the Northeast, because we're in the South, 
I know what this is, the Thomas Jefferson Award for Academic Excellence. It's kind of like uh, the uh, there's an Einstein Award and there's also another award. What's the one they give out to the scientists every oh Nobel Nobel Prize. Nobel, uh, Nobel Prize. Uh, this is not on par with those, but it's not that far off. He won it two times. Oh my really? God. Yep. Wow. Two well, time winner. Plus, uh, I think that's because these guys wrote the book. Yeah. On Quite profiling. Literally. Yeah. Like think about that. There was no relatable criminal profiling for serial killers or especially Nothing. violent sexual offenders. Just imagine creating the term serial killer. Yes. Which is thrown around And what we were over with that, exactly. And he how it was that. originally uh, devised, you know, because at first it was called sequence killing. You yes. can even see that in the show, how they Fantastic. at the term That was so killer. interesting. It was, because we sit around watching these shows and talking about criminology, and when they use the term serial killer, I swear to God, I actually stood up smiled. and went, there it I is. smiled. I there like, it is. You've arrived. But it was actually pretty cool. Later on, he was then uh, promoted to unit section chief and ran the National Center for the Analysis of Violent Crime. So fascinating. So we're talking this guy ascended from a, uh, an academic through the SWAT team, through negotiating. All the most I, – I really believe these are the most difficult parts of any, any law enforcement agency – and it took it all the way to the top and, and devised this whole program exactly. and now running yeah. it. And that section is, chief. That's such a perfect that's such an impressive professional career. Unbelievable. I think a big reason of what John did was if you kinda of look at it, he kind of made Holden have a lot more strife, especially internally in the FBI, than I think there really was, you know? He had to fit in a little bit more. I think and they and they do because talk Holden about Holden is that. completely ostracized by a lot of people, even his superiors. You know, we saw that with Sherman in the show. Where he was totally not receptive to Holden at all. Did not like him at all. Sherman. Well, yeah. Who's Sherman? A Sher- Sherman Shepherd. was the it Shepherd. Was Shepherd. Sorry, Shepherd. Yeah, Sherman. Right. You're right. You're right. Shepherd was the unit unit chief. Yes. And and even Joe Penhall talks about that. How he wanted to do better with Holden Ford. That uh, when Bruno Heller of Criminal Minds he made Mandy Potamkin and Joe Montagna like fit in with a group. Okay. And I guess he tre- he flipped it a little because if you take a look at those, those guys were really part of the team and they really fit in. And where he's coming from a different point, making Holden kind of an outsider and works his way in. So I guess we're taking a different look at the character, which is actually pretty cool. Um, now, after speaking about John, John E. Douglas, okay, we'll get into his partner a little bit called Bill Tench. Bill Tench is really known as Robert Rustler. He worked with Jonathan E. Douglas throughout his entire career at the FBI. These guys were partnered together. Okay. Think about that pairing. Unbelievable. A salty veteran with a wide-eyed, not new guy, but a wide-eyed guy coming in. That is literally the basis for every cop movie. It, and you know what? Here it is in real life. Yeah, I was going to say. Maybe the cliche exists for a reason. It, 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 and maybe because it's not a cliche. It's been going on for decades. The old salty guy teaches the guy the ropes on how to fit in. And then everybody starts because they take Bill Tench slash Robert Rustler seriously. They're going to start taking Holden Ford. It's just effective. And Jonathan. You take the experience of the veteran and you pair it with the unique new perspective of the up and comer. And and what do they say? Well, if, hey, if Bill or Robert believes him, why shouldn't I? Because if you work with Bill for 20 years and Bill isn't giving you a load of crap the entire time, he's been a straight shooter. And whenever you follow Bill, it's worked out. Well, I guess what? If he's fallen, hold it. Maybe I should too. And I thought that was really, really interesting. 
and I think Jonathan tries to pay homage to that throughout the season. Yeah. You kind of see Bill Tench guiding Holden through yes. the areas he doesn't know about, especially a lot of the base terminology for uh, behavioral sciences. Yeah, you know, you can tell at the beginning that Tench has more knowledge than Holden, and then yes. he slowly has to develop his lexicon of terms to use. And, and they did take one more uh, thing out of context, which I thought was kind of interesting, because uh, in real life. Uh, in a series, you'll see Bill Tench has a disgust and a disdain for these serial killers and is not really enthused about getting involved in all this. Mm-hmm. And the problem, not a problem, which I thought was very different is uh, in real life, nope, uh, Bill, Robert Russell, Bob, Bob uh, actually had such a good relationship with one of the serial killers and you see Holden Ford getting cards from Ed, Ken- uh, Ed Kemper and Ed Kemper the entire time. Guess who was was basically Robert Russ, uh, Bob Russler's uh, fan or a friend. Who? John Wayne Gacy. Oh, no shit. No shit. John Wayne Gacy. Yep. John oh Wayne Gacy, Gacy actually gave a painting of himself. He painted to Bob Russler. That is mental. Isn't dude. that crazy? These guys, these guys both had that knack. And maybe we're not seeing it yet because Gacy hasn't been discovered. And that's something else when you guys like to see it later in the show. Oh, my I God. I cannot wait for another season of this fucking show. <sighs> oh, my God. I completely thought about, I forgot about Gacy. Yeah. When we did our mini show, we talked about real life serial huge killers. Part. And I completely forgot about John Wayne Gacy. Well, here's the crazy part. Here's It gets even more unbelievable. In an interview that Bob Russler did with NPR Radio, he actually gave us the description that was on the back of the painting. He actually wrote a note to Bob. Dear Bob, Bob Russler, you, uh, you uh, cannot enjoy the harvest without first laboring in the fields. Best wishes and good luck. What could that mean coming from a serial killer? Oh my freaking God. I went crazy when I heard that. Can you imagine? Now, I hate to go into that, but this dude's not right. What does that even mean? This is what a serial killer writes on a painting for you. Coming from a serial killer, how how do you interpret that? Every way imaginable. I'm sorry, guys. I'd be mindfucked if he gave me a painting with some cryptic message on the back. I'm telling you. I, I got jacked over just hearing that quote. I'm like... You know what? I looked into this show and everybody makes fun of me and looking into stuff. That this that one quote made this whole thing worthwhile yeah. to me. I'd be like, wait a second. Am I Dude. getting Silence of the Lambed? Where he's like, so. I'm having a friend for dinner. Unbelievable. But I just could not get over it. So both both John and Bob, and we are talking about Holden and Bill, okay, mm-hmm. at the same time. They traveled the country interviewing sex offenders and serial killers, including David Berkowitz, son of Sam. Okay, Ted Bundy, John Wayne Gacy, Charles Manson. Oh my God! I don't the know the big one. The big one. He I never killed anyone. Scunter. He never killed anyone. Um, yeah, just his girls. I was gonna say yeah. And speaking of his girls, Lynette Frum, Sarah Jane Moore, of course Edward Kemper, John Earl Ray, uh, also Sirhan Sirhan. We know who what he did, and Richard Speck met him already. Donald Harvey and Joseph Paul Franklin. These guys. Is there anybody they didn't freaking talk to the entire time? Yeah, no kidding. This is the rogues gallery of just... <sighs> they talked to the who's who of killing people. Just Dicing people crazy, up. Crazy, man. That is absolutely... F- That's the thing about this. I think this show and this background is so interesting because it's such an anomaly. Yeah. I, you know? I, just, I just... I love it. And then looking into it and hearing their backgrounds... 
Please make this this show go on for ten seasons. Sierra, I want to hear. Hope, right? I want to hear every, every part detail, of this. Every everything. So uh, they were so inventive before John and uh, Johnny Douglas and Bob Russler, uh, before they started, came into the picture. And we were talking about this on our mini cast about how things weren't reported. We really don't know what's going on. Mm -hmm. In 1960, this is a little a note I found too. In 1960, there are reported 19 uh, violent murderers in 1960. Just a decade later, a decade and a half later, when or, or a little more than that, late 1960 to late 1970, I apologize, folks. Uh, after they started implementing their ability to track murderers and f- form the unit and f- start serializing their killers, mm-hmm. it jumped from, take a guess, guys, 19, basically the end of 1960, mm-hmm. and uh, two to three years into them formalizing. 60. 60, Cameron? I'm going to guess 50. Nope, we went to 119. I got, the, oh, I got the... Uh, you, your price is right in me, dude. Closer. Can you imagine it went up six times? So how many serial killers had been going on operating in the United States before prior to... I was Part of those two guys. Say, isn't that the big question on everyone's mind? It just means mind. they didn't know about it. We, we, nope. Like, uh, criminologists in the late 1800s and early 1900s talked about this, where they were like, there are so many crimes. It was called the dark figure of crime because you don't know what's happening, especially with violent murders, because None. back then there was no evidence gathering yeah. techniques. You were just starting to get modern criminology. And and to be to be even make it more sad, nobody cared about the impoverished. Only rich crime was really reported. Yeah, that was the political system of policing. That was actually a thing where police, even in America, they would serve local politicians. Yes. Because those were the people who decided who was hired and fired. And the funding. Yeah, just to bring it to an even more realistic note, people used to think that it was safer back then to just travel and just... It wasn't. That's that, And not. you were so right. It's not. And people go, well, when I was a kid, and I did this too, I used to ride my bike 50 miles a day down to the beach and everything. Just Dude, you could have been a statistic just as easy then as you are today. And you know why we didn't think of it? Because we just didn't know. didn't know. You know? And these guys uncovered it, and it's such a... Unbelievable. And the, yeah, this is not... The, that's why it's so high stakes for me. This is not robbery. No. This is not burglary. This is not taking bikes. This is taking people's lives. At a monumental point. You know what I mean? That's And in sadistic and unimaginable ways. And then interviewing these people. I know. Exactly. As if they're rational. It's not like a crime of passion. No. No. No, 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 no. Dissociated uh, murder. Even the disorganized killers... Like they have such a view that it's so I peak alien. Up, I peek up when you say the disorganized and organized. They talked about that in the show. It's That's just, their terminology. Uh, yes, it just freaks me out. So we have to remember that you know uh, we owe so much to these these two guys. Remember, John. John is still alive today. He's still writing books. Damn. Still does tours. And I don't know about you guys. If I get a chance, I'm actually going to look and see. When he's doing a book tour, speaking I would engagement. or speaking engagement. I'd yeah. like to hear him talk. I'd like to actually see. We're talking about the show. He's in his seventies now. I hope he's still touring. Unfortunately, Bob Russler passed away in 2013 at the age of 76 years old. But remember, uh, as as a public at large, I think we owe a debt of service to these two guys as criminal profilers and their unit that they came up with and formulating it and doing this pioneering work because. Uh, if it wasn't for what they're doing, 
I mean, a lot of people can talk about changing people's lives. These two guys literally saved people's lives and can continue to do it today. Direct impact. Uh, I just think it's amazing. And it makes damn good television. Oh, my God. (laughs) Let's talk about it. Because these were some of the best strung together 10 episodes. The cohesion of story. Can't wait. Not a loose thread in the bunch. No. Hey, man. And I hope they continue to do it. Please. It really did play like one long episode. And, all right, so obviously Edmund Kemper has been seen as like the favorite serial killer by a lot of the fans on social media, uh, people tweeting about it. But let's say, who's your second favorite killer that appeared on the show? Oh, oh we don't go that far yet. Let's go oh. into the cast. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, right, let's right. just There ahead. will be time for this. Uh, yes, okay, we always okay. have time. The cast, Jonathan Groff, also known as Holden Ford. Uh, he was not a well-known actor. Uh, I, I haven't seen him. Nothing. Screen. Here's the scary part. The guy played Kristoff in Disney's Frozen. Really? <laughs> Which one is that? Which he's the that? singer. He's the yes. singers. Yeah. Well, uh, mainly, I, I think he's the guy, he's the other male lead. Yeah, he's the blonde The guy. blonde dude. Oh, shit. Oh, yeah. And then Holt. Holden uh, can sing his ass off. Yeah, exactly, but nothing. Talented. Holt, uh, McCauley, McConley, I can't say his name, I'm sorry. I brutalized McCollin. him. McCollin. Uh He plays Bill Tench. He's a salty veteran. Um, he's been in and out of TV for 20 years. Oh, you guys are talking about Holt McCollany. Thank you, God. Holt McCollany. Because he deserves oh, his name right. right. <laughs> he deserves his name said right. Yeah. He recently, his last movie I look back to see is Lights Out, one of my favorite horror movies. He's in that? Yes. He's I in love that movie. And, and, but if you, you want to look around TV, he did Blue Bloods. He's done everything. He was one of the few uh, people in this with an extensive history. And by putting him there, kind of centered around the cast, it, it, as the professional, it's really working out he well. He looks like a cop. He does. He plays that role perfectly. Next is Hannah Gross as Deborah Holden's girlfriend. Uh, she's only done short films. Nothing. Mm-hmm. This is, then she actually had a really surprisingly amazing performance. In she did great. She kind of plays this, um, you know, she reminds me of Julia Stiles. Yes. A lot in her acting style, especially like 10 Things I Hate About You. Oh, yep. Yep. I agree. Fantastic. She played a guy. very similar character to Kat in that. And she did such a good job because she played the character that she was supposed to play perfectly to I, a T. So much I don't like her. Yeah, exactly. Well, you're not supposed to at certain points because no. you're siding with Holden throughout the whole show. I, and I didn't realize that until you brought that up earlier that you don't like her. And she's probably a really great person, but I just don't. Yeah. If I see her, I'd be like, you know what? That's I don't like she you that much. Yeah, I just didn't she care for her. She acts like a bitch. But, but, but she's she, such a good actress. She pulled it off. She's great. It's she like really King is. Joffrey in Game of Thrones. I hate that yeah. little fuck. Yeah, he'll <laughs> probably never get work again because people just don't like him because he did such a great job. He actually, like, actors who have parts like this have actually talked about it where yeah. they're like, it's so weird. I have people come to they're like, I love your performance. And by the way, I hate, hate you. you. Yeah. And she's definitely <laughs> sold it really good. The next one is Anna Trove. She plays Dr. Wendy Carter. She kind of rounds out the trio by bringing in the doctor of psychology, forming the, the uh, actual research that gets them out of the jam in the show, if you're watching it, and makes them, formalizes it, makes it legitimate, and does and a it, fantastic job. And it's a really strong feminine voice. For the group, because Absolutely. You, we have that like really tense scene towards the end of the season yeah. where Holden says the eight ripe bleep yeah. uh, during the spec interview, yes. and that does not go over with Wendy at all. Oh, and it freaks out spec to the point where he actually reports him. Oh, because it yeah. messed with his head so yeah, much. He said that Holden messed with his head. Oh, that was because great. What this FBI goes back to what I was saying. Say that. 
Holden is not right. No. He's not right. You no. would never who would think to say that to Nobody. That man? I if, would never. If Richard I'm, in Speck, general. If Richard Speck, a murderous psychopath, is saying you're not right in the head. There's something wrong. You got issues, man. So Anna Tarf, her main thing that I saw, and I'm probably doing some of the service because she's been an actress for a very long time. Fringe TV show oh, from the nineties. Yes, Fringe show. is so she good. She was very, very good in that. And next is Coulter Smith. Uh, fantastic actor. He's been around, same thing as Holt, been around TV and television as character actor playing Shepard, uh, the unit director. Uh, he's done TV and pretty much a ton of that forever, from Law and Order mm -hmm. to The Americans. Uh, fantastic, fantastic. The reoccurring roles, uh, there's just a few of them on. His, his Bill Tench's wife, Judy, played by Stacey Rocha, she did a really good job. And there's a few officers that come in and out. To be honest with you, and I don't want to insult you guys, but I really don't remember your names. Corecast. The Corecast is yeah, so good. It, it, and I thought about giving her a shout out simply because the main scene where you f identify with them having a problem with their adopted son mm -hmm. and kind of kind of yeah brought it home. So I did want to mention them, and I'm sorry about the other guys. But yeah, but that's the thing. Like... It, Although those local cops aren't the focus of the no. show, some of them played their parts very well. Fantastic. I remember in, in the, what is the small town where they investigate the murder with three suspects? Yes, with a fiance. The, yeah, where it's like a guy who has a fiance and yep. his step, his uh, brother in law. Yep, and, and we, his sister. we cover that too. That, that officer did a great job. That officer did a great job. And he played the townie role perfectly. Yeah. Well, I don't have to look into him. He's a nice guy. Yeah. No, and then you tell him, no, you have to look into everybody. Yeah, but all of those characters. You told him we were coming? Yeah. They, yeah, right. Yeah. He had donuts, donuts waiting for them. He had donuts and coffee. It was just fantastic. Yeah, all of those man. characters, all of those supplemental characters really aided in the character development of the core cast. You I know, and like. as someone who. helped bring out the, the traits of the character. And I absolutely loved it. And as someone who's like met a lot of cops, I can tell you. That's exactly how they are. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Without a Usually doubt. good dudes with a moral compass that sometimes can affect their discretion. And then I kind of jumped into creepy performances. This is like you were talking about earlier. Oh, let's go. Uh, these are our, our cast of serial killers and killers throughout the entire series. Uh, number eight on the list, um, Sam Strike. He played Monty Ralph Rizzle. Uh, he was a serial killer from 1976 to 1977, one year with five victims. You'll remember him from the show. He's the one that wanted the big red soda. Yeah. Yes. You know, felt bad because his brother had cancer, but they didn't really give a shit about anybody else. And he, bring me back a six pack that of big red. That was the funniest thing where he was like, I thought out of the car, she said, she, she said her, uh, was it her dad or her brother? Had cancer. Yeah. 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 And that's the one that lived because he identified yeah. with her because it's the no, only. No, yeah, his brother had cancer. Cancer. And her dad had cancer. And that's, that's why. the yeah. only thing that kind of so tore like, I let her out. At whatever was left of his soul or his heart. You know what I mean? But he wanted his big red soda. And that's an actual part that he was asking for, that serial killer. And he shows something so important, which is these people can be so, like, normal yes. in the outset yeah yet they just have like these triggers like he was especially like triggered in a lot of ways you know like from his childhood the yeah. Moment. oh yeah and he it's ridiculous man at the young age of 19 he was arrested he had killed five people and raped at least half a dozen yes and he is currently incarcerated serving five life sentences yep classic alive classic. That, i always thought that was the funniest thing in the criminal justice system six life sentences i like that i just pictured I like see that Oh, you died, and then you just get to wherever you're going. They're like, oh, 
four more, buddy. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> it's just terrible. Our next on number seven, played by Adam Eastern, is Daryl Gene Deaver. D-E-V-I-R. Oh, yes. Daryl Devier. Devier. Thank you. I'm sorry. 1979, November. He's the one that was uh, a power line guy. He raped and killed that 12-year-old, 13-year-old girl. He's the one that actually passed the lie detector test. One of the mm-hmm. first people actually noted in history to do that on, on a, a criminal Yeah, a lot of sociopaths were able to beat the, the lie detector and test. And he was one of the first ones because that did it, you and don't, he recognized there's it. There's no elevated heart rate. There's, there's no elevated blood pressure. There's none of that. You have no physiological response to the questions exactly. that are being so it's, asked. It's so. very, Dis, uh, what's it called? Uh, disconnected. Yeah. You're disconnected from life. And in many ways, this interview scene with uh, Devier was huge. Is, is the climax of this huge. first season. Because it's a culmination of all the knowledge that Holden has gained yes. throughout the entire first season, and he puts it to use. In practical use. He takes the information and puts it in practical uh, use by setting up an interview and arranging the stage to a climactic moment and getting the guy to actually confess. confess. And it really shows how good the feds are at getting people to talk. Yes. Because if I put myself in that guy's shoes, granted, I... I've never killed or raped anyone. You'd be saying lawyer. Yeah, yeah. literally. Right I'd away. be saying lawyer, but I'm saying if I was in that situation and I had cops breathing down my neck, I, like how would you respond? Especially with know. the questions that Holden's shot. asking, how personal he gets. Yeah. And how he relates to him. The, that's the creepy part to me. That's where I think Holden's messed up. Literally, Daryl Devier attacked and murdered a small child. Yes. She was 13 and Holden took an angle of how attractive young girls are in order and to how get deceptively guy, old they can look. They can look old despite being very, very Which young. Which is completely fucked. It's and, so but, inappropriate. But here's the part that takes it to another level. Think about this, guys. It's inappropriate now in 2017. He was making those statements in 1970. 1970. 70? Oh, yeah, it was wow. 1970. And how inappropriate. Now, the other officers were so inappropriate. You remember seeing the scenes. They were appalled. And <laughs> Forget about it. I mean, could Not you imagine? That, had to take hold now and be like, what the fuck? What the yeah, what, yeah, what's going on with you? What the hell is They stopped the interview. interview. Unbelievable. Unbelievable I scene. I could not imagine, especially in that time with how reserved and conservative yes. you were, especially with language. That was back when you're cursing once, bar of soap. It's, yeah. It was yeah. not this freedom of he expression. He took things to a different level. He really, really did. That'll bring us to number six, Joseph Cross. You played Benjamin Barn Wright. Mr. Cryer, I had coffee and donuts ready. My fiance's dead. Oh, yes. Dude, he's just not freaking right. The, not right at all. I knew something was wrong with him as soon as he just wouldn't stop crying. And no one cries like, no man cries like that. He, no. Even if amazing, your fiance is found murdered. Amazing point that he actually did that and actually got I away think, with it. I think if your fiance is found dead, you would be so upset and so sad that you wouldn't be able to cry. To, or answer the police's questions. He was able to s- so easily field their first questions. And yeah. then just break down. And then break down when he found an answer that he could uh, yeah. found a question that he, he couldn't, couldn't answer. answer. He would just sob uncontrollably. Yeah. And what do you do when someone sobs uncontrollably? Me, I have issues dealing with people's emotions. I walk away. I walk away. It's, well, it's you a saw good like defense. they had to kind of retreat after that because it was like, Absolutely. what? Are we going to keep badgering a guy whose fiance supposedly died? Like, well, she did die. I mean, his supposed fiance. Yeah, yeah no supposedly, kidding. yeah, because that was never even identified. Takes us to number. She did her fucking hair, man. <laughs> and this takes us to number five, Richard Speck, 
played by Jack uh. Erdy. Um, dude, 1966, he had eight victims where he trapped all these nurses in one apartment. They were sharing. He was the one that was the bizarre dude holding the bird. He tossed up into the fin. Yeah, I love that Unbelievable. Scene. And actually filed the complaint we were talking about earlier on Holden. Civil rights violations. Yeah, because he messed with his head. Messed with his head. I just could not get his over His head's already there. fucked, and Ford Un- found a way to mess with it. Unbelievable. Uh, this was the most chilling, not the most chilling, but the most shocking interview, yeah. I think. Just because Speck was so clearly overcompensating with a lot of his Everything. statements, where you could tell there was shame there. Even though there wasn't like regret or, or any of that, like or empathy, he did feel shame. A, t- a touch. He was murdering out of confidence. It felt like he liked the fact that he he could control whether or not these women were existing, and he wanted to be the thing that took them out of existence. Well, he used to just uh, just. It was a individual. great scene. Though. It was a great scene. And I, I'm just the glad. bird and the fan. I don't know if that actually happened, but that is genius yeah. as a plot device. I don't know who wrote that, but and if it happened in real life, oh my gosh, there's no way he had a bird, a pet bird, but still, Birdman Alcatraz. Yeah, yes. It's just some scary crap. He's gone. No longer on the earth. Thank goodness. Next is uh, Sonny Valcent. He plays the ADT serviceman, Dennis Lynn Raider, known as BTK. Ten victims from 1974. 74, guys, all the way to 1991. Jesus Christ. Imagine this. We're talking about Holden Ford. John E. Douglas, instrumental in the catch and conviction of BTK. Fun fact, Raider gave himself the name BTK. I did not know that. In one of his letters to the media, which stands for his method of uh, execution. Yeah. Bind, torture, kill. And that's what he used to... Remember the scene where he was dropping something in the mailbox? All, all pictures he drew of women being bound up naked and then murdered. He was Crazy. burning them in a barrel. Yes, that was outside. That was that scene. And then the scene where he was dropping stuff with his mailbox is exactly what you're talking yeah. about. He was dropping the letters he was talking about and describing what he was doing to the police. But it went on for almost 20 years. It's just insane to me. Ten victims. And nobody nobody had any idea. And again, Douglas now this, this, Flash Ford. This points out how good Mindhunters is as a show because the way they incorporated Raider in throughout the season. Yeah. These little little blips I you got it. to see, which are the original scene with the stapler yep. and paper clips and shit like that. I was like, that's so smart and so genius. Because you, you literally show the evolution of a killer. Yeah. And then he cuts to like him, and there's a chick who's like bound in the room. Yeah. And, and how about the kill kid he was assembling? Yes. Over the course of seasons, though, yeah. that's what I like the most. Yeah, they're not going to give you this guy in, in and out one part. They're gonna they're gonna drape it and make sure it's it's well laid out. So you get time it. with it. I like it a lot. Uh, next is Jesse Boyd. Uh, he represented Frank Genderman. He was the one who murdered his brother in law's wife slash fiance. So oh, he was yeah. with Benji. He was with Benji. Yes, uh, that was kind of a whole bizarre thing. Um, that guy, I think, has an underrated performance within that show. Definitely. Because if you look at the actor who played um, Frank, was it? Yes. Frank. Um, yep. Who played Genderman. Frank. I mean, wow. He played an asshole really well. He certainly did. I mean, he's one and he's one of the most underrated killers on the show, yeah. in my opinion. And yeah. his face just... I love. And like remember, he got away with it. He's only yeah. going to do five years. How mean years. his look was. H- and hung he- it on the sister and on, on Crying Boy. 
That's one. Yeah, Benji. <laughs> I felt like he was one of the only killers in this show that was made to look evil. Like you saw, like yeah. the way his demeanor, no, his, the true. way his character, like his face actually looked. He was the only one who looked yeah. outright evil. Whereas, yeah. like the rest, they almost showed him in a compassionate light because yeah. they were like they seemed to be him. broken or, yeah, broken. or like, ill in some way. It literally felt like you're going to the island of misfit toys. Twist. No, a yeah. great analogy. For Rudolph exactly. the Red Nosed Reindeer, and you saw yeah. like it was like malformed slinkies, dude. Yeah. I was like, what? And it always brings you back to the thing that you wonder. And I know that they'll probably cross this bridge later. Environment. Or genetics, mm-hmm. environment, or genetics. nature or nurture, nature or nurture. You know what's crazy? I'm just thinking back to this whole Frank and Benji debacle. The person who came across the body of Benji's supposed fiance, he was a very suspicious character in the show. If you yes, just you're talking about the metal worker, the metal worker. Yeah, he Holden did not want to walk so away from him. Yeah. Guilty. Yeah. I mean, can we just focus on how it, how easy it is to pin a crime on somebody? Exactly. Because he was so nervous in talking to the police. He almost It looked like he was about to confess to something he didn't even do. Yeah. And they looked past him and found the real and killer. And they actually found the real killer. And Amazing. this guy this guy seemed dead to rights. Like, he murdered this girl. He, he like I don't know if, even know if he was lying, but he said that he took his dog on a on a hike on a nature trail. Yeah. A nature and trail. saw her body yeah. across the like miles. Her, and yeah. he didn't have a clear view of the body from there. But, but that's the scary part. Holden goes. He's the guy. Not even the the towny cops mm-hmm. did did a little investigation. Holden walked up on the ridge, looked around. You can't see it from there. You can't see this from there. You can't do that. And was like amazed. And, and you know, and then they realized, you know, you had to actually. What were you doing in the area? So Holden had to peel back all of those layers. Yes. Uh, next, we're going on to uh, Happy Anderson. No, that's not the serial killer's name. That's the actors. Sounds like <laughs> oh, serial killer. I know Jerome Henry uh, Barks. A uh, 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 barges B R U D. O.S. Bardos. Brudos. Brudos. Thank you very Jeremy much. Brudos. Jeremy Brudos. Jeremy also Brudos. known as the shoe, uh, the shoe, shoe fetish. Killer, shoe fetish killer. Uh, four victims, 68 to 69. Shoe fetish slayer. Yeah. Yes. So Jeremy, Jeremy Brudos is a really interesting character because you want to talk about mentally broken yeah, at a young age. Not this right. is definitely part of nature. I mean, I mean uh, nurture in yeah, a lot of ways not, not. because the environment he was raised in completely so messed, messed up. up. His sexual perception. And he was a hallmark case for me. And like uh, being scared of serial killers because this guy had a wife. And yeah, a life. And a normal and life. And he gave you a glimpse of that. He pulled it all off. He had a wife and kids, bro. But then you look back and his wife was doing all the things where he was like, oh, that's weird as hell. Why is my... She, she never comes in the room. And, she never goes in the Holden, garage. And Holden never. talks about it. So he just like whisked his wife and kids out and was like, go get hamburgers. Come back so, in two hours. So they would leave. And they would and leave. And let him do it. And then this man had an intercom mm-hmm. installed his in his garage. garage. So his wife couldn't go in. And I get it. You can have your own space. Yeah. Good luck with the intercom on the door though, pal. Yeah, I was going to say. Could you imagine them and ever wanting heard, to do that? Yeah. Not my house. Yes. No, just keep in mind, he, he committed his first crime at the age of 17. He abducted really? a woman at the age of 17. And here, he, uh, go ahead. I'm sorry. And he's the guy who left blatant evidence. He literally had parts of his body in the photographs he would take of these yes. mutilated women or reflections. Yeah, yeah reflections <laughs> of himself. He was not very careful. No, hypothetically, yeah. hypothetically. Yet, as soon as he confessed, uh, later on he 
says that all of those confessions were under coercion. Yes. And that he never committed any of those murders. Nope. They pinned it all on him. And, and yeah, he, he's the victim. Even he's though victim. he had the women's shoes, they later found traces of those women's hair within the garage. And jewelry and everything. He it says was, it's all planted, all planted. and coher- coerced. But to be honest with you guys, the one thing I didn't, which was shocking to me, uh, I get you're a shoe fetish person. They well, got him the pumps it, and then about, he takes it and goes over and sits by himself in the corner and masturbates. I dude, wasn't ready for that. I did not expect that. One I was not ready for that. that was, I hated even bringing it up, but we're doing a you deep dive. And mean, it's, it's part of the analysis. Unbelievable. It's unnerving. Uh, that's the perfect word. It was. And that's the thing <sighs> that this show does that I'm so shocked by. The lack of literal violence within the show, even... yet its ability to unnerve you exactly. completely. Because he's not evil intrinsically he's a broken he's so fractured it's unbelievable. unbelievable and he sounds like a normal guy like when he was talking to holden i was like oh normal guy yeah but yeah but the switch goes off again man. Exactly. but then as soon as you saw as soon as you got talking about what one would do yes if they had murdered a woman if it happened and Jer- jeremy starts going well yeah well, well, I luckily, would definitely, if I did. Luckily, Jerry Brudos passed away in prison in 2006, and the world is a much better place for yeah. that happening. Thank goodness. Goodbye. See ya. And it comes to number one. Dun, dun, dun. Edward Kemper, 10 victims. Also, evidently, his grandparents. I did not know about that. I don't yes. know if that's true. Call me uh, Ed. My call mother, me Ed. 6'9", 250 Ed. pounds, 145 IQ. He's not a stupid fellow, folks. And evidently, they would have never caught him if he didn't want to let him catch him. 1964 to 73, the co-ed butcher slash killer. Also, necrophilia. Turned himself in. Now, yes. to talk about the grandparents thing. Uh, can I say one thing yeah, real quick? Cameron Britton. Great actor, guys. Oh, amazing. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I just had to get the No, Cameron Britton killed this role. <laughs> Played, he not only does he look slight, like almost identically like uh, uh, um, Ed Edmund... Kemper, yeah. Edmund Kemper. But also, he the mannerisms. Yeah. The way they spoke, uh, uh, it's so shocking to see how similar Spot it really on. is. What a great piece of character acting. Amazing. Uh, I thought he did. And he was my shout-out in our review. You can also catch that uh, on our podcast if you want to hear a quick 15, 12-minute synopsis of the movie and yeah, everything. Well, we all thought of the TV show. Uh, all and of it, it was just fantastic. But um, take a look at that. Um, again, we also have another clip we want you to take a listen to, and yeah. we'll also list it with a podcast. We actually found uh, an interview with Edmund Kemper. This is a literal audio from Edmund Kemper's Kemper. interview. Oh, unbelievable. Check this out. This is actually this crazy. Is, this guys. is not from the show. This is Edmund Kemper actually speaking on the, on the crimes he's committed. Because I'm not a lizard. I'm not from a rock. I came out of her vagina. See? What? My mother. It's just bizarre. And in a rage, I went right back in. For seven years, she said, I haven't had sex with a man because of you. Amazing. My son is one of our arguments. It's right from the scene. I cut off her head. And, and I humiliated her corpse. It's from one of the scenes. Yes, from the scene where he actually met and talked about his... Six young women dead because of the way she raises her son. And the way her son is raised, the way he grows up. And what's her closing words? I suppose you want to sit up all night and talk. God, I wish I had. Yeah, he's just not right. Um, In the show, 
the actor playing Ed Kemper says that to Holden the first time. Oh movie. my god! Good googly moogly. They fellas. nailed that scene, guys. Jesus, that gives you chills. It on. does. I was just thinking that that's exact scene that he talks about in the movie well, or in the show. Plus, uh, Edmund <sighs> Kemper went through the um, the mental rehabilitation system at a time where they were reforming it and they thought yeah. about uh, re-entering these people into society. It was about the do-gooders yes. and that whole movement. And we need to take those people who are disturbed and give them another chance, chance to live. Society. right? So what happened was he killed his grandparents yes. when he was a teenager. And they put him in. And murdered them and they put him in the system. And he passed with flying colors because he's so, so good. And intelligent. And appearing to be completely normal. normal. Yep. And he Fooled said, him. Yeah, he was like, I, I knew that I could never be cured. Unbelievable. Yeah, no kidding. I mean, he killed his grandparents as a teenager. He was admitted into a mental hospital and then was released at age 21. That's crazy. And then he went on to kidnap, murder, and absolutely defile eight more people before he finally turned himself in. Turn Look, himself in, guys. I mean, is everybody he used to hang out in a cop bar? He is. He's alive, well, and yeah. he's incarcerated still in a uh, California medical facility. Look up the throat line from Edmund Kemper it's in the just show. Disturbing. It is the one of the most disturbing lines. But then you guys keep repeating it and it's freaking hilarious. me out because it freaks me out. You guys so always hard. repeat it. Oh. It's cartilaginous. Oh, here we go. Again. <laughs> Cartilaginous. Unbelievable. It's so muscly. Okay. <laughs> All right. So we're going to go on. That's a look at a breakdown of uh, our serial killers, uh, one through eight. I hope you liked it, guys. It's it's just a pretty good analysis. Next, we're going to go on to David Fincher and what season two were we talking about? Remember, before this even dropped, they already ordered season two, guys. Fucking thank goodness. I yes. got to love that. October 13th, it, it dropped. And... Uh, when we were talking about this, had to be two months before. How had much, to be. How much they longer do it. I have to wait for this? Am I gonna have to wait until next know. October? I hope they started filming two months before when they got the order for it because everybody was oh, still. Oh, they around. did. I'm, they're done. I just can't wait I'm for sure. the next season. Uh, when they order the next season, I can't wait for it to be dropped. Uh, it will track. I don't know if you guys know this: the Atlanta child murders over two years. Ooh. 28 children slash adults were murdered and went missing. That serial killer was Wayne William, a 23-year-old. Broke the mold, and to this day, a lot of people think he's not. he thought he was not the Atlanta killer. That's a lot of murders for a 23-year-old. And plus, it's, uh, I think what made that case special, I remember about it, is that his killings were not a certain type of person exactly. every time. It was random, so it's harder to ch- exactly. catch Exactly, because serial killers, as we all know, have a type. Yes. Yeah, they all and have. These like the co-ed uh, co- slayer, Edmund and, Kemper. Yep. Picked they were the all types. Girls. And, and, and all these 20 murders, Cameron's exactly right. They ranged from children's to adults to uh, males and females, which uh, did not. Makes them appear right. disconnected. And this yep. trend goes all the way back to the first considered like massive serial killer, H.H. Holmes. Yep. He was not prejudiced at all at who he slayed and killed whoever crossed his path, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, that was uh, the last murder. I mean, I was uh, I didn't know about it. It was May in 1981 was the last case. And many of the cases uh, that they tried to uh, say he was involved in are still unsolved to this day because he would not admit. You know how a lot of serial killers will go, well, if you don't give me the death penalty, I'll clear clear the cases that I know about. Mm-hmm. He wouldn't be helpful at all. 
He wouldn't close any cases. He wouldn't admit to any cases. So a lot of those murders that they have related to him are still open today. And the families don't have closure. Nobody does. Which is, which is just terrible. And then the other one that, of course, we're going to carry on through season two is BTK. Which oh, let's go. So such an interesting story. Such an interesting and story. And I can't wait to see how Holden tracks him down. How can't wait. they possibly interact when he intercepts him or something. But I'm okay with this taking time. I love it. It's over twenty it's years. So, rewarding. so we're gonna have the underlying building and the serial killers they're interviewing, and then the whole over arc that's gonna be going on is BTK. Guys, that's just some great writing. It's just some great thought put into it, some great writing. It's and, planning. Yes. And it comes back to David Fincher and Joe Pinnall. Gotta love it. Gotta, gotta appreciate it. And if you're a fan of David Fincher's stuff so far, uh, I did some deep diving. Go back. I, I'm going to read off 10 movies that you can kind of check out. I actually have seen all of these. Okay, I'm an insomniac. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's what I do when I can't sleep. I watch, stand up and stay up and watch these horror movies slash movies till dawn. Uh, Alien Three. That's the one where Sigourney Weaver Ripley is in jail. Uh, jail, the prison planet. Yes. Not a bad movie. It's actually more of a monster movie. Mm-hmm. Kind of liked it a lot. Kind Next, of a return to form to the original Alien. Yes. Movie. Yes. More. More than a lot of other other times. Next is Jodie Foster in 2002, Panic Room with Jared Leto. Mm-hmm. Forrest Whitaker, remember she's trapped in a panic room with her daughter. Yeah, uh, and, and another great movie. I had no idea it was his. And then I've already told you about the curious case of Benjamin Buttons in 2008 with Brad Pitt, Oscar-winning director. Can't go wrong that. with Brad Pitt in your flick. You can't, and he just won again. This was one of my all-time favorite movies. I never knew about that he was part of the game with Michael Douglas and oh, wow. and oh, what's his name? I can't stand when they do that. God. Um. Anyway, the game. The game. It's a great movie. It's a great movie. Nineteen ninety-seven. Uh, and it's if you have not seen that movie, this guy has a damn good resume. He does. It's fantastic. Uh, number six. The You're girl talking about Sean Penn. Sean Penn. Thank you. Thank you, Mason. You saved my life because I would have been sitting up. Late at sleep, night. Late. Who's, Who's in, in the game? game? Yeah, I would have been. <laughs> Thank you so much, Michael Douglas. Sean Penn, I did it again. Sean Penn. 1997, great movie, guys. Uh, And it's a great payoff at the end of the movie. If you haven't seen it, it's a a watch. Um, The Girl in the Dragon Tattoo, the remake, 2011. Very good movie. The movie was freaky. It was a freaky movie, but it was great. And then one of my favorites again, Seven. Seven. 1995. What's in the box? I love that freaking line. Dude. That movie. movie, not just that line. The line has been so memed What's out now. In the I box? love it. That's deadly sins. But just the acting, oh, Morgan Freeman, baby. Oh my God. When's the last time we saw Morgan Freeman in a detective flick? Uh, not for a while. I mean, but it's just a great movie. Batman. Yes, he's Lucius Fox. Fox yeah, but it's uh, not a detective. Not a detective. He's an inventor. It's a detective movie. Bitch. And then next is Gone Girl in 2014. A great movie again. I mean, it's just fantastic. And then we'll we'll take it over to uh, probably Fight Club in 1999. People love their cults devoted to the Fight Club. I have a Fight Club cult. Wait, uh, wait. What's the Fight Club? We'll call the Fighties. The movie Fight Club. No, what's what's Fight Club? Oh, no, rule number one: one. You never tell me one about Fight Club. <laughs> what Brad, are you doing, Brad Pitt? And Edward Norton, just a great, great movie. Next, do you like that deep pull, guys? Yeah, it was good. What Uh, uh, Zodiac, 
uh, with Jake Gyllenhaal in 2007. I love that movie. Fantastic. And also powerful Mark Ruffalo in there. Yes. It's a solid yeah, movie. Solid so cast. many stars, man. So good. And there's a scene from that movie when he's talking to the, the guy in the apartment. Wait, you mean the star from 13 Going on 30, Mark Ruffalo? Yes. Yes. Okay. Are oh, my God. <laughs> I don't think 13 Going on 30 is his best movie. Okay, we're, we're going to go to this next one. <laughs> the social network, guys. Yes. I've already talked about this movie. Fantastic. Those are 10 movies, in my opinion. I think they're all must-sees. I think you really should check them out. It'll give you more of a uh, an overall view of what his work is like, and there's not a bad film there, in my opinion. Um, I hope you guys really liked what we were talking about tonight. It's a, I know it's a deep, deep dive, and we probably gave you more than you wanted, but when I find a show I like, I can't I'll hold back. This is the only 9.5 I've given on something. And I think it's well-deserved. And I'm Great really show. glad we took the time to kind of go in-depth, talk about the cast, which is really important to the show. <laughs> it's all about the cast for me in this. And my thing, if you really like the show and you really, really want a deep look into it, I think we gave you a pretty good complete picture. Yeah. Probably, like I said, more than you wanted, but it's just fantastic. It's, it's some of its best work. And I, it probably won't get nominated for an Emmy, which is a goddamn Motherf- sin. What? Yeah. What will? It's frustrating. It's very frustrating. And you've heard me say that in going campaigns before, but great movie, guys. I mean, well, great TV show, guys. Guys, have it. you seen Mindhunter? Let us know in the comments down below what you thought about it. Come on, it's on the X. Yeah, I was going to say, what did you think about it, guys? Let us know. If you want to connect with us on social media, we are on Twitter and Instagram. We boast one of the most successful social media presences on the interwebs. Self-proclaimed. Self-proclaimed. It is at <laughs> CSWS Podcast. <laughs> CSWS Podcast. Subscribe, guys, and join the Insomniac Army today. Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. This has been Can't Sleep, Won't Sleep. I'm Cameron. I'm Mason. And this is Matt. Catch you Insomniacs later. See ya. For further details, we return you now to your regularly scheduled program.